Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Derek Reimer, who's been a many-time repeat guest on this podcast, and we talk about his decision to shut down his prior effort level that he and I spoke about just two years ago on the show, and his new effort, Mighty Cal, that he's working on and he's going to be launching here in the next few weeks. But before we dive in... I want to talk about an app called Subly. It's S-U-B-B-L-Y dot co. And this is through helpfounders.com where I've donated a few essentially ad slots or you know sponsorship slots on this podcast to help other bootstrap founders get some exposure in our space. And so subly.co is a subscription e-commerce platform that focuses on direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands, especially those that are selling subscriptions. So if that's you, please give subly a look, subly.co. In addition, in case you missed it a few episodes ago, I mentioned that with TinySeed, which is the SaaS startup accelerator that I started two years ago with my co-founder, Anar, we are raising fund two. And today we have funded 23 companies with our first fund, and now we are raising that second fund. So if you are an accredited investor and are interested in diversifying an investment across many dozens, if not hundreds, ultimately of early stage B2B SaaS companies, head to tinyseed.com slash invest, enter your info there, and let's have a conversation. There's certainly no, no commitment, but if you want to learn more about what that might look like, hit us up, tinyseed.com slash invest. A little background on Derek before we dive into our conversation. Derek and I started Drip way back in 2012, and we grew it together, sold it to lead pages in 2016, and then moved on in 2018. And since then, Derek has started a couple different projects, and we dig into those. I won't spoil them for you, but last time we talked was about two years ago, and we were talking about how he was trying to validate his app level, which was a Slack competitor. And we basically pick up right where that left off. And we talk about his decision to shut level down and then what he's been up to since then. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Derek Reimer. Derek Reimer, thanks for joining me on the show again. Hey, thanks for having me. I think you've been on this show. I was trying to look one, two, three, four, five, at least five times. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. <laughs> the most recent was almost two years to the day. It was July of 2018, where we talked about how you were validating level and it was your ambitious third SaaS application. So it's been a while, man. You've been, you've been up to some stuff. It's been a while. Yeah. A lot, a lot happened in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So let's dive right into to level. To, you know, we can catch folks up. Level, in essence, was a Slack competitor that you were working on, which, you know, your angle on it was a less interruptive, get deep work done as a developer or a creator, but still have some type of chat tool, right? You want to catch people up on that? Sure. Yeah. So, so level, I mean, it was kind of born out of the experience that in large Slack teams, especially after, you know, post drip acquisition, 150 people in a, in a Slack room. And like the company at that time had, had basically said like, we're going to shift basically everything into Slack and not use email anymore and experiencing firsthand all of the, all of the challenges that come with kind of the interruptive nature as a maker, trying to, trying to manage all this communication in a real time chat format. 
So yeah, the premise was to strike a better balance, a healthier balance. And like, you know, there were some, some kind of some innovations that I came up with, like kind of putting things into a kind of a hybrid, like between Slack and email. So there was an inbox in level that would queue up your messages and they wouldn't disappear when you read them, but you could subscribe to certain things that would flow into your inbox and other things would just be kind of in a feed. It's actually funny. It's quite similar to some of the concepts that I see in Hey, the new email app from Basecamp. I just found that amusing that they have some similar concepts of like things, certain important things land in your inbox and other things that are that are kind of just there for you to peruse are in this feed and you can just kind of scroll through that. So that was kind of the idea. And it was admittedly ambitious. Like the proposition was basically convincing companies to move their whole communication infrastructure off of Slack and kind of like a big, big learning that that smacked me right in the face once I attempted to uh, to kind of launch it after building it for about nine months was just the wide chasm between people's recognition that their communication patterns are not healthy and that a product could help with that. And then their actual like willingness and ability to get organizational support behind moving off of Slack. Yeah, that's the thing, because one individual can't make the decision to move anymore, right? It's that's a, it's a really tough thing. Unlike if I were to try to switch away from Calendly, for example, even if I was on a team, right? As long as I have a credit card or I can get a free trial, I can just go and sign up for that and use it on my own right now. I don't have to convince 10 other people, but the switching costs of Slack are high. The feature depth, you know, they have a pretty big moat now, all the integrations. I remember early on you, you and I talking and I was like, mobile apps, dude, I'm not sure you can do this without mobile apps, you know? There's a lot to it. I mean, there, there's always uncertainty when you're launching things, but it really was an ambitious, you know, an ambitious project for you to take on. Yeah, I was fresh off of a long stint at Drip all the way through acquisition and I was really excited to work on a new ambitious challenge. And so that was kind of where my mindset was at at the time. And I, I did recognize that I, it was going to be it was going to be an uphill battle, but I was kind of willing to willing to take some risk then. But yeah, I le- learned a ton in that process just about like, I, so I wrote a whole in-depth blog post about re- retrospective about it that folks can check out on my blog, but just learning about how to ask better questions up front, you know, became acquainted with the mom test methodology, which is just, well, it's a book by that name that kind of gives you a, a brief manual, very actionable about how to how to ask the right questions because people who ha- have best intentions to help you out will often steer you in the wrong direction. You know, they'll, they'll be excited, but that excitement doesn't necessarily translate to actual making a purchase. So, yeah. So you basically sunsetted, I mean, you got a a few folks to use level, right? But it just, it was uphill battle. You just couldn't get enough traction. Yep. And so you kind of sunsetted that. Was it about a year ago now? Yeah, it was just over a year ago. Yep. Okay. So you moved on to your next act, which is uh, called Static Kit. And that's in the static website, form endpoint stuff. And if I recall, I mean, when you and I had talked about it, you were kind of like, I want to do this to get something out there and to get something out there quick. I don't want to spend six months thinking and manifestoing and doing all that again. And I'm interested in static sites anyways. And I think there's some opportunity here, but I'm not quite sure what it was. It almost felt like you needed to get something into the world to kind of tool around with. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty rough, like psychologically, it was rough after coming to grips with the fact that putting nine months of effort into into level and and for it to not not work out was tough. And so I it was partially like therapeutic to dive into some tech, some stuff that I was particularly interested in. And there's a lot of stuff happening kind of in the static site ecosystem, the Jamstack, kind of the term coined by Netlify. So a lot of interesting momentum around that and and folks kind of a lot of folks leaving WordPress and adopting static sites instead. So 
it seemed to me that there were emerging trends around this. And, you know, again, I kind of recognized that this was this was still sort of nascent and not entirely positive that there was that the market was ready to start buying tools to fill in the gaps between what they could accomplish with the monolithic WordPress backend and like some of the newer static site technologies. But it had been kind of an idea that floated around in my idea notebook over the years about, you know, kind of building some some backend building blocks to come alongside static sites. And so I just kind of started started building some stuff and started, you know, threw a landing page up and right away got some interest from some of the major hosting providers in the space. They reached out directly and and were very excited about kind of the developer centric form backend was kind of the the first the first little dipping the toe in the water for static kit and got like a yeah a good amount of excitement from some of the other people in the ecosystem and a kind of a willingness to to come alongside and promote in their marketplace and stuff like that so that sort of is what drew me into going a little deeper into the space and seeing what I could make of it it just feels like it's one of those waves. I mean, we kept talking about it as like, hey, WordPress was small, and then it wasn't. And there's these technology waves that come, and static sites feel like they have the potential to do that. No one knows if they actually will, right? But there was opportunity. And to build something relatively small and get it out there in a few weeks and have these bigger players reaching out saying, we want to integrate, we want to promote, it was like, well, that sure is an interesting opportunity. So that was one of the reasons I liked the idea of of you doing it. It just, it's, you're kind of not going from a standing stop when that happens. Right. So that was definitely like a, gave me excitement and gave me some, some glimmer that there's something there. You know, I still had to learn at that point, like, all right, so what does the market actually look like for this? You know, there's, I know there's a lot of developers experimenting with these tools. Developers love, you know, everything you can manage in version control. You know, if you can keep your entire configuration in Git, developers will eat that up. So it's like, I knew that it had the kind of the interest of developers, but how many how many agencies were actually using this instead of kind of the old older monolithic content management system stack? There's a lot of other players kind of alongside static sites like content management systems, for one, that kind of cater specifically to this audience and a lot of them funded. So it's kind of hard. It's hard to, to know really how much traction any of these companies have when they have funding, you know, because they're out there, they're out there doing their marketing and, and having a presence in the tech spheres. But like, what does their revenue story actually look like and how much traction do they have? It's hard to, it's hard to kind of ascertain that without just just diving in and, and seeing what what you can do. So I definitely kind of had my my learning hat on during that process and started to started to become clear that like there's a lot of a lot of the people who are signing up for tools like this are not buyers. They're not in the situation of ready to actually exchange dollars for the tools. And I think some of the large hosting platforms like Netlify, like Vercel have, you know, kind of demonstrated that, you know, you need a large a large free tier at the bottom to kind of service the the folks who are just playing with stuff and then ultimately like make your money selling into the enterprise and doing kind of an enterprise sales process. And that seemed, became more and more clear that that was likely what was going to need to happen for, for Static Kit to really get traction. And that, that gave me a lot of pause. Yeah. And you, you invested enough time in it. It started to feel like maybe throwing good time after bad. Right. It's one of those things because you could obviously look at it and say, well, you know, why give up so quickly? Like, what were the signals and all that? But really, you've kind of laid them out there. It became painfully obvious that there's a lot more, I think there's a lot more free tools in the space. I think it's still a viable space, but it's like you want it, you have a certain 
revenue milestone you want to get to in a certain amount of time. And it's going to be really challenging in that space to do it. You know, I think longer term, it's a better play, but... Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's something that like a lot of, a lot of bootstrappers kind of have this, this wisdom hard earned that like it, it, sometimes it takes, it takes some iterations. It takes some different attempts and different angles. You got to keep building and exploring to kind of arrive at the thing that's going to be, you know, that's really going to resonate with the market. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at that, being malleable, being, keeping an open mind, not getting too overly committed to something. And I think that was one of the one of the tough calls was to figure out like, when's the right time to shift focus? Do I keep hammering away at this thing? Or do I kind of go with my gut and listen, you know, listen to the signals that I'm getting and and what I'm learning about the market and kind of shift my attention. And so ultimately, you know, after consulting with, with some uh, advisors, you included, you know, like, started looking at, at other spaces. Yeah, and that's the important thing too, right? Is these decisions are never clear cut, and there there's always a some gray areas, but b just it's a lack of of certainty. But you kind of have your own gut feel, and it it helps to sanity check that with other people. And and I do know that you and I had several conversations about it over the course of many months. I mean, even from early on, it's like I'm not sure that this space is going to be what you need, but you're already in it. It's going to take a few weeks to get something live. Let's follow that. Pull the thread, see where it goes. Hard work, luck, and skill, right? It's like you were putting in the work, you have the skill to build and launch it. And it's like, is there, are we going to catch a little bit of luck here and there that could potentially propel it forward? And so as you were kind of starting to back off of static a little bit, realizing, ah, you know, if I put more time, I invest much more time into this, I'm just, it's not going to yield what I want. You started noodling on other ideas, right? And you had a big idea list of not only apps, but spaces. And you just go in all the directions that everyone always does when it's like, how do I come up with an idea? And I know that you and I had a lot of conversations about that, but I thought it was clever the way that you came up with one list in particular, which was stuff that you were using, right? You were paying for. Yeah, I mean, I like, I'm never one to say as an absolute that like, you should always scratch your own itch. Like, I think that there's, there's always opportunities to, to find business ideas other ways. But like, I knew one leg up that you can give yourself is to just have some direct experience, some some recognition of understanding of what the problem is and what the market is, you know, if it's a tool that you yourself use. So I kind of, one exercise I would do in my notebook is is list off all the tools we used while building Drip. So we had error monitoring, we had all kinds of exception tracking and uptime monitoring and hosting and calendaring and email and scheduling and on and on and on. So just exhaustive listing of everything and then kind of running them against my rubric, which I had gradually been building up. Like it was something that I need to be able to launch an MVP quickly on. It needs to not be like so mission critical that if there, if it has two minutes of downtime, it's trucking someone's whole business. And so I kind of started running them through my filters and could pretty quickly scratch off most of them. But one that kind of lingered on there was was scheduling and tools like Calendly that you can use, send a booking link to somebody. I remember we adopted that pretty early on at Drip for our demo process. And it was one of the it was one of the killer tools in our stack. But you know, I started started looking really closely at this because it felt like there were areas to improve. And I definitely had my own ideas about that. And there's some interesting properties about about this space. You know, one being <laughs> the opposite of level, like people can use this in single player mode, which was very attractive to me. And you know, it's it's something that I could build the kernel of decently quick. And so that kind of checked those boxes right away. And then so we started started thinking about that a little deeper. Yeah. I remember the conversations when you would call out a 
an app name of like whatever, you know, error monitoring. And it's like, okay, what are the pros and cons of the ones we've used, you know, and Calendly. And I was like, oh, I'll tell you what, when I do group scheduling, (laughs) it's a nightmare. You know, when I try to, why doesn't Calendly overlay my calendar over theirs if we're both customers or if you owe it, you know, and it it was pretty quickly, it was like, oh, there, there is innovation here. Much like, again, you know, you go back to 2012, ESP mindset of like, well, MailChimp and Aweber have solved this problem. This isn't, they're perfectly good solutions. But then once you start thinking, well, how could it be better? You know, what are the personalizations, the tags, the automations, the whatever is to make it a better system? And then it's like, oh, I see the future a little bit, you know, or we think back to email, you know, Gmail and then superhuman. And it's like, yeah, email and, and the online clients were, were just fine for like a decade. Nobody touched them. We just used them the way they were, you know, but then when someone comes along and says, oh, Superhuman's this new email client, or, you know, hey now, hey now, that was an odd way to say it, but, or hey.com, you do realize that, oh, there are, there are ways to innovate on these, on these kind of tried and true solutions, maybe. And that's how I started pretty quickly thinking about MightyCal, right? Which I don't know if you've said the name of it yet, but yeah, MightyCal is, is your app. It's at mightycal.com. And, you know, it, it became pretty obvious that there were, innovations that could be made to make this a better process. Now, that doesn't mean this is a viable market and it doesn't mean this is a viable product. And that was something we were careful of is I was like, look, I can tell you five things that I would switch for, but you got to go talk to other people next. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I, and, you know, after we did a whiteboarding session and came up with a bunch of our own ideas, I didn't, didn't want to stop there. I mean, that's a classic, that's a classic mistake, right? So I think I solicited maybe like 10 different conversations and a handful of them were like, yep, I use Calendly and it's, it's works fine. Not that big of a deal, but I tried my best to, to keep the conversations decently high level. So we talked about, well, what's, what does your day look like? Kind of those, those keep, you know, like trying to understand the person, understand what, what their cadence looks like. What does their flow look like? And with everyone I talked to, there were elements of calendar management, schedule management that were a pain for them. And a good chunk of them were kind of within the scope of, of the, the broader vision that, that we kind of started to, to come up with when we were whiteboarding. So it seemed, it's always hard. It's, it's really hard to interpret those types of conversations because, again, like when you don't have a product to, to attempt to sell to somebody, you got to hold things loosely, you know, when you're having those conversations. But I did feel like I got, you know, as good an indication as I could that like there's pain around this and there's also fairly low switching cost, which was another thing that was pretty intriguing like you could do use this in single player mode. And if you didn't have a super complicated setup, then it would be fairly easy for you to switch switch to a different tool. And so if I could just innovate on some pieces that that a lot of people care about, then that may not be too difficult of a proposition. Yeah, I think the low switching cost is nice. I think the potential for expansion revenue because it's it's a per seat, right? This is a perfect per seat product, right? If if two people log into Mighty Cal, they see different things because it's their calendar. So I don't think you've decided on final pricing, but Calendly is 10 bucks a month. I'm assuming you're going to be in that range. Obviously, normally we'd say, oh no, 10 bucks a month, that's not a high enough price point. You're going to have a, need a huge funnel. But A, the market is massive and there are so many people using these tools constantly. There's tons of traffic streams to get in front of. But B, you get a team even and like the tiny seed microcomp team is what four there's four of us plus my assistant producer so we could say five like so we're a 50 dollars a month client if we were to switch everybody and that's where this starts to not be a 10 dollars a month product so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pluses to it i think on the flip side i mean let's talk about the the dangers like you know if we if we look back in a year and this hasn't worked why won't it have worked what's going to trip you up in this space you think yeah i think i mean i think a big risk is getting the positioning right 
with people like unlocking the positioning of people who really care about a more powerful, better curated experience. I did sense among some folks kind of a an apathy or like a yeah, Calendly's fine. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. And so I think you know one risk is like, are there enough people who care enough about the nuances of their scheduling process and kind of polishing off the rough edges of the scheduling experience. I think I have some compelling product innovations on presenting things as a calendar instead of a list of times and giving people kind of a, a richer view. But again, that's just uh, at this point, it's a it's a hypothesis. Is that going to resonate enough to get enough lift? Or is it just going to be kind of an apathetic response? I think that's a big risk. Yeah, a lot of competition. And again, you know, if if you at the first step of your stair step and this is the first product you'd ever launched, you know, and you didn't know how to write copy and support people and do design and do coding and build an app, you know, and there's all these things you could learn, I would say, hey, this is this is pretty ambitious to go up against Calendly and you can book me and whatever the schedulicity, I don't know, there's like 10 or 20 of these, right? But you're a little further along having done Drip and CodeTree, which is an app we've talked about in the past that you sold for, you know, what, 128K several years ago. And then you've had, you know, a few false starts here, but you're past that early needing to, to get the basic skills. And, and I feel like these big, I'm such a fan, like a secretly a fan of these really big competitive spaces. Not in the sense, I mean, if you go back to start small, say small, of course, you start in niches. There's all these, these reasons to do it. And I would still say early on, those are great things. And those are also great autopilot businesses and they're great businesses to stair step up from into if you want to do it. And not everyone wants to build a seven figure business. It's okay. If you want to build a $150,000 business and just live an amazing life, then do that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But I know that you have ambitions. Like that's your starting point. Like you want to get to the point where you're, you know, default to live, you're paying your you're paying your paycheck, and then your ambitions are to grow a larger in rev in terms of revenue startup. And so that's where you think, well, is it easy to grow a make a five million dollar SaaS in a really tight small niche? Is it easier to do it in a big space? And you know, easy is relative, but I mean, there's there's just hundreds of millions of dollars floating around in this whole scheduling space because you don't have to stop at a little calendar widget, right? You're gonna get people using it. You're going to get folks like me, you're going to get salespeople, you're going to get founders, you're going to get whoever else. You know that there are angles, whether you niche down or whether you just add features that are more power user or that are just at the fringes. But yeah, who, you know, who knows the direction you could take it in I'm, in terms of integrations or automations or, or whatever else. But knowing that you can build like a, a nice innovative little calendar widget and get enough traction to get you to a nice revenue milestone, whether that's, you know, 10K a month or whatever, that's a real bonus of being in a big space like this. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is the this is the classic kind of app where I'm picking a specific wedge. And the wedge here is smoothing out the booking experience, the experience of a, one person getting on another person's calendar. But that's just one small piece of someone managing their whole schedule, you know, and back in the day, like business people would have executive assistants or secretaries, right? And they would have like humans there helping with this whole process for them. And that's just, that's less common these days, especially among startup people, you know, there's, so there's tons of people doing business that are now managing their own schedule and calendar. And there's something even deeper to that than just, just like booking links. But I think this is an interesting, this is an interesting wedge where like, this is a product unto itself, but there's a lot of different areas to expand it into. And like I said, it's just a, yeah, a huge market. Are you going to focus on like a specific use case? Like when I think of me, I'm I'm kind of a 
I don't even know. You know, I'm kind of like a busy startup founder, maybe that's like a, a busy executive, busy startup founder, whatever. And then there's obviously my, my, so that's my use case. I'm also a podcaster. So I'm going to need those two, you know, kind of meeting types or whatever. And then you could look at, there's obviously salespeople. We'll use this quite a bit. I can imagine. I think of the, when I do think of superhuman and kind of one of the angles where they won is it was like founders and investors, right? A lot of it, they, they did the Silicon Valley thing where they went after those two. Do you just have like an avatar in your mind if it's like busy founders and executives or are you specifically thinking you know there's podcasters there's founders there's CEOs and there's investors or something like that just curious how you're thinking about it yeah yeah i think the first few that i have in my mind are founders people similar to myself and i think that's also another piece that i'm hoping to to use as kindling is like my own like small audience that I have from the podcast and just from being in the space. You know, there's there's a decent amount of people kind of in my sphere who I think are potential customers for this. And I so I kind of hope to use that as the first, you know, the first circle of people that I'm marketing this to. And so I think it's gonna be a lot of founders, bootstrappers, and potentially some investors in there too. And then I think, you know, the business will kind of expand organically from there. So we'll see what kind of uh, what kind of viral lift it has. There is a viral component to this too. Every time someone shares a booking link, it's exposure to whoever they're sharing it with, right? So it'll be a little bit of, of following, you know, kind of following the, the organic growth track a bit. But yeah, I still think that'll be a very important thing to suss out is like getting the position nailed. Because I, what I see a lot right now among others in this space is extremely broad positioning. And I think there's an opportunity here to kind of speak a little more directly to some specific pains and be the be the de facto tool for that group. Yeah, especially when there's our space of founders and I'll say startup executives, but really we're just kind of founder. I just think a lot of us, we're operators and, you know, just trying to get stuff done. It's not a huge space. There's only so many influencers. Everyone talks to each other. Everyone's online spreading the word if a tool comes through that really is superior, is a superior experience and people start seeing it. I think that helps it spread quickly. In addition, you know, we haven't even talked about like the viral loop, right? Of when I send the link out, someone's going to click on it and they're going to go to mightycal.com and they're going to see a Powered by MightyCal. You know, there's a lot of, you know that that was a, a driver in the drip days because we had the widget, the Powered by Drip. You know that that was a driver in Calendly's growth. So I think that that's something we haven't haven't mentioned. But in addition to low switching cost, big market, potential for innovation, there is that built-in virality, which is really hard to do. It's hard to make that, nigh impossible to make that if it's not built in. You can't fake that. But having it in such a native way, I think is a, I think is a, a bonus. Yeah, and that's allowed me to. I mean, I'm I'm investing a, a ton of time into kind of this this flow, and I think about it similar to like, well, now that we're in a pandemic era, and I've been doing more like ordering food through a mobile browser. I'm learning quickly some of the some of the apps that really have it nailed, where it's just it's just the interface feels so intuitive, and that's that's the experience I'm striving for for this. So I want you know the people who's on the other side of the the booking equation to be using this person's link and, and coming away from that saying like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. How can I get that for me? Because this is what I want to give to people who are scheduling with me, right? I remember having that experience with Calendly early on. It's like, wow, I don't want to be emailing back and forth anymore. That was really cool. You know, why do I want to do it? So as we kind of, as we start to wrap up, you're using this yourself now, right? It's in production. Yes. Yep. I'm dog fooding. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's cool. So, and you'll think you'll have some, um, exterior customers or yeah, I guess early access customers here in the next week or two. 
Yeah, as of yesterday, my my burn down chart said 96% of the way. So I am running out of excuses to not have additional users on the platform. Seriously, <laughs> I should be busting yeah. your chops way more than I have been then. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, yeah, man, I look forward to seeing my invite come through. Obviously, if folks are interested, you know, in, in seeing what you're up to, but really getting on the list, which is if you do feel like, hey, I use Calendly or a competitor and there are some things I'd like to see improved for it focused on the startup founder, the busy executive type of thing. It's mightycal.com. And of course, if they want to see what you're up to on Twitter, you are at Derek Reimer. That's me. So thanks again for uh, joining me on the pod, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me back to uh, give some updates. Absolutely. Thanks again to Derek for coming on the show. If you have a question for me or a future guest, please send it into questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. You can send it in text or you can record an MP3. Send me a Google Drive link, a Dropbox link. I read every email that comes to that address. And I really appreciate you tuning in each week, every Tuesday morning. I'm going to be in your earbuds. Talk to you next time.